Thank you all so very much again. That's what we want to do tonight is worship the Lamb of Glory. We certainly do. This is Passion Week. Our Lord had a difficult week, to say the least, of what He endured for us, marching up Calvary's way for us to pay our sin debt. We have a, we have a debt beyond measure of worship and praise and adoration to Him who took our place. I want to go to the cross tonight, maybe to prepare us a little bit for an empty tomb on, on Sunday. I want to be in Luke's gospel, Luke 23, as we talk about uh, crucifixion day. Of course, I, I, can't, I can't cover everything there is on one sermon, crucifixion day. I just want to pull out just a little excerpt of something that stirred my soul. I want to talk about this event on crucifixion day, just deal with a few of these things. Lord being our helper tonight, I'd like to start reading in verse 32 and read through verse 43. Again, I'm not going to be covering everything here. There's so much to it. But maybe to whet your appetite to study more through this week as our Lord was crucified this great week some 2,000 years ago. Verse 32, you found your place. invite you to stand. We'll honor and reverence the reading of God's holy and Aaron infallible Inspired word together. The Bible says in verse 32, And there were also two other malefactors led with him to be put to death. And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him and the malefactors, one on the right and the other on the left. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his remnant and cast lots. And the people stood beholding, and the rulers also with them derided him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself. If he be the Christ, the chosen of God. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming to him and offering him vinegar, and saying, If thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself. And a superscription also was written over him in letters of Greek and Latin and Hebrew, This is the king of the Jews. And one of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him, saying, if thou be Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answered, rebuked him, saying, Dost thou not fear God, seeing that thou art in the same condemnation? We indeed justly, for we receive the due rewards of our deed. But this man hath done nothing amiss. And when he had said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. You may be seated and we'll trust the Lord to bless the reading of his holy word. Just to recap some of the events that took place preceding Calvary, Jesus had recently been led down the Via Della Rosa, uh, which is known literally as the sorrowful way, the way towards Calvary. Along this death march, the Bible says there was a man named Simon, a Cyrenian, who was made to carry his cross I've elaborated before in the past, that is a message within itself. Simon, a member of Adam's race, one of Adam's sons, was chosen by the providence of God to carry the cross of his son. Again, that's a message to the world because it had to be. It had to be because carrying a cross was an admission of guilt. It had to be one of Adam's Sons, because the Bible says, if we've been learning in Romans, there's none of us that are righteous. 
No, not one. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And so therefore it could not have been Jesus to carry his cross, not God's son, because the Bible says he knew no sin. He is the sinless, spotless, perfect lamb of God. Therefore, we also find along the way of that sorrowful way, there were some devoted women. They followed the Lord Jesus up to Calvary. And while they followed, the Bible says they wept as they looked on this great injustice. How in the world could that ever take place? And what would about to transpire there on cold, dark Golgotha? They wept and they wept. They wept because how in the world could they curse the Son of God? Because of that, these women wept. How could they mock him and beat such an innocent man? How could they choose Barabbas, a murderer, over the Messiah? How in the world could Pilate have a innocent man scourged and sentenced to die? They wept. They cried. And yet, the same people would cry out, crucify him. I would say, no wonder these women wept. But if you remember, it's in that moment of the Via Della Rosa that Jesus turned and he made a shocking announcement. He said, women, don't weep for me. Weep for yourselves. Why? He is referring to the coming judgment of God upon their decision as a whole, the people, for rejecting Him and crucifying Him. And now we're at a place of Scripture where we do come to Calvary, and I want to learn some of these truths surrounding crucifixion day. I feel inadequate to that because I can't cover all these truths of Calvary. All I want to do is whet your appetite for the rest of the week to go back and look at some of these glorious truths that precede the day that we all celebrate as believers every day of our life, the resurrected Lord. There had to be a Calvary before there was a resurrection morning. As we look at these two male factors, first of all, verse 32 and 33 says, And there were also two other male factors led with him to be put to death. And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him and the male factors, one on the right and the other on the left. I want to talk to you about these male factors. What does that word mean? Really, hardened criminals. Who were they? Well, before I get into who they were and much about them, I just want you to get a little excited tonight when the Bible mentions that there were two other male factors, one on his left and one on his right. Because what gets me excited about these hardened criminals, they didn't have a clue about this, I'm sure, but they were a part of of fulfilled prophecy that day. These two men led with Jesus on their death march to Calvary. Little did they know, there in the presence of the Lord Jesus fulfilled the prophecy recorded in the ancient scriptures by Isaiah. Isaiah 53, 12, speaking of our Lord's crucifixion, he said he would be numbered with the transgressors. More than likely, most scholars think that these two male factors were, how do you say it nicely? Traveling companions with Barabbas. That's probably putting it real nicely. They were buddies with Barabbas. So you know about their character. Now, you know what they were thinking, seeing Jesus take the place of Barabbas, dying in his stead while he was free to roam and run where he wanted to. They would have to pay for their crimes and yet Barabbas would be set free. Now, soon I'm going to cover that what Luke really reveals what they were thinking 
But you know at this point in time, they were consumed with their own death. No doubt they were probably mad. Sure, they knew what was coming to them was deserved. But how in the world could the ringleader, how in the world could their partner in crime get away unscathed and here they are on their death march? They had been forsaken. They had been friendless. They were alone without their partner in crime. But soon and very soon, and you got to get excited, they would find out. They would learn that the Lord was with them. There on Calvary's hill, the Lord was this to them. I tell you something else they would learn. They would learn that the Lord's heart was for them and towards them, and they would learn soon that he was about to die for them. That's what we learn on Calvary's cross with these hardened criminals. It was a very fretful place, nothing pretty about Calvary. Calvary was just outside the city gates, the place of the skull, the hill of execution, and there they did it. They did it. What they do? They did the unthinkable. There they crucified our Lord. They drove deep in his hands and his feet these spikes of iron, these rusty nails. They nailed him to a cross. They hoisted him up and they dropped that heavy rugged beam into the ground, suspending our Lord between heaven and earth. And all the world would stand and watch as he suffered and died. I will go on record to tell you I do not believe there was any crueler crime, no greater acts of depravity. I think humanity could not plummet any deeper in their crimes than that what they did to the Son of God on the cross of Calvary. Someone said there's no sin any darker or damning than the murder's capital crimes of Calvary. And there, the Bible says there, they crucified him. Who's him? The darling son of God, the savior of the world. You know the story. You know it. But I get excited tonight when I tell you, as we look at these events at Calvary, I see not only there's two male factors that Jesus died for, but also see there was a true mediator. Read verse 34 with me. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I can't hardly read that without being tore up. You know, we want to place ourselves in a little better position than those male factors or those criminals. But I'm going to go ahead and jump ahead of my sermon tonight and tell you that Jesus not only died for them, he died for me. When he was on the cross, it was not only the criminals that were on his mind, but you and I were on the mind of the darling Savior. And so the Bible says in this text that we have a mediator. I didn't read that. Oh, you will. <laughs> we have a mediator. And a true mediator is one who will pray for you when you're not worth praying for. When you're a criminal, when you're an outcast, when you're a habitual violator of God's holy law, when you live in absolute rebellion against God, we have a mediator, one who will pray for us. He prays for his enemies in great agony and pain, pierced, beaten, and I think difficulty in breathing, raw and a bleeding back. Don't forget the scourge, the cat of nine tails. Don't forget all the cruelty he went before, before he even got to the cross. Think about the crown of thorns buried deep in his head and his brow. But yet he only thought of others in greater need than him. You think, who in the world could be in greater need than the Son of God in that hour? I want to go back to the events where Pilate, that wimp that he was, 
chose to appease the crowd instead of bow before Christ. And in that moment, he ordered a scourging that most men never lived through. That cat of nine tails was a whip with a handle with nine different strings of leather. And to that, there was attached pieces of bone and pottery and metal. They would tie, tie the victim across a barrel or a post and with all the aggression and hostility and anger that they had towards the Son of God. And you know the Roman soldiers hated Jews and especially he who they labeled as an insurrectionist and the king of the Jews. They tried to kill him. I, I, you'll never convince me otherwise. They tried to kill him. Most men never made it to execution hill that were scourged. They died because that cat of nine tails would not only fillet open the back, but it would go so deep that it would expose vital organs. Most would bleed out. Most would die. And yet Jesus opened not his mouth. The Son of God was scourged. He was scourged. They wanted to take his life, but they can't. So no man takes my life. Why? He had all power in heaven and earth. But he willingly laid it down. And there on the cross of Calvary. In his hour, what I would think of tremendous need. He thought of others who were in greater need than himself. Why? He had no need. He fully surrendered his will to the will of the Father. He commended his spirit to the hands of God. You're safer there than you've ever been in your entire life. He prayed for those who are enemies of Christ and enemies of God. Those are the ones who are in greater need. He prayed that God would forgive them. He prayed for the criminals beside him. He prayed for the criminals in front of him. He prayed for the criminals all around the globe, past, present, and future. He prayed for us. Why? Because all of us are guilty criminals. All have sinned and violated the laws of God. Our sin cost Jesus his life. He never prayed, Father, forgive me because he had nothing to be forgiven for. But Father, forgive them. Why? Because all men everywhere need forgiveness that is found only in God. Over and over and over in the scriptures you hear that no one can forgive sins but God only. And all men everywhere need that forgiveness from the Lord. And that great prayer uttered from the, his lips on Calvary's cross averted the instant judgment of God for their despicable crimes. The only reason that God himself in that moment did not stamp flat the high hills of Judah, turn to blood the waters of the seven seas or unleash upon this planet Twelve legions of angels is simply one statement we found in Romans. Because God's grace is greater than all of our sins. Boy, isn't it good? Don't ever sing Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound with a callous thought. Don't ever sing it, just wrote a routine. Amazing grace, greater than all of my sin. That's what God did. God stayed on that cross. 
because His grace is greater than my sin. And I want you to understand in this prayer, we find no hint of revenge. What will you find as you read of the suffering of the Son of God? You'll not find any revenge. Should have been. Look the way they treated him. Look the way we treat him now. He would be justified in revenge. But you never find that. In his prayer, all we find is love. Love from the cross of Calvary. Love. Indescribable, boundless love for sinners. Enemies of Christ and of the church. God's will has never changed and it never will. Hear me when I tell you it's the expression, it is the word from Calvary that God is not willing that any perish, but all come to repentance. That's love. That's love. He prayed not only for his enemies, but he prayed for their enlightenment. He prayed, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. I struggled with that for a while as I studied that some years ago. I wanted to say as I read that prayer, Father, forgive them, I got that. But the clause that says, for they know not what they do, I, I didn't understand that. I'm honest with you. I thought, what do you mean they don't know what they did? They knew exactly what they were doing. They hated him. They despised him. They plotted and planned for a way to kill him. I've took you through all the gospels. You know that. The Romans... They had made an art of crucifixion. They could execute better than anybody on the planet. They knew the art and any opportunity they got to get a Jew, they loved it. They knew who he was and they knew what they were doing. So I really struggled when I said, I don't understand this part of the prayer when he says, they know not what they do. They were well aware of the facts of the crucifixion. They were all witnesses to their crimes against the Son of God. They crucified Him. So what were they ignorant of? Two things. I think they were ignorant of the enormity of their crime. And I think they were also ignorant to who He really was. I think today, the way people treat the Son of God and his sweet offer of grace for salvation. People scorn. People laugh at it. People dismiss it. They procrastinate. They're laughing on the way to hell. And I said, how can they treat the Lord Jesus in such a manner? Same thing. Ignorance. They really don't know who he is. For if they knew who he was, they would never, ever treat the Son of God in such a way. It proves their blindness and it proves their ignorance. He prayed not for their death or their eternal darkness, but he prayed for them to see the light and live. Whew. Nobody's ever been so good to me. In my darkness and depravity, God prayed that I would have the lights turn on and I would live. He prayed that the Father would turn the lights on in their mind, that they could see Jesus for who he really is. And remember, John told us that he came into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. John also said, he is the light of the world and he lights every man that comes unto him. So if you know Jesus as Savior tonight, if you have seen the light, it is because Jesus on the cross of Calvary some 2,000 years ago prayed for you. No other reason.
No other reason. That's why I like that song. When he was on the cross, I was on his mind. He prayed for me long before I was. He knew me and yet he prayed that God would turn on the light, that I could see his son for who he is. That's what God prayed. And he prayed that I would live. Live eternally. That's my testimony. November the 5th, 1981. I saw the light. God showed me his son. Am I the only one going to have a spell in here tonight? Man, I'm telling you. God opened my eyes. When I trusted him, I live. I live. I'm going to live eternally. So I'm telling you tonight. If you know the truth. It's because Jesus prayed for you. And the Spirit of God illumined your mind. We couldn't even have a Godward thought without this prayer from Calvary. Boy, we ought to thank God he prayed. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. I'm so grateful. The Spirit of God has illumined us to truth to know who Christ is. So let me just close that little point in telling you, hallelujah, we've got a mediator. We got one that'll go between us and holy God. He'll show us the light and he'll grant unto us eternal life. I like to stop there, but the text goes on about these taunting mockers we got to talk about. But it ends up pretty good. The Bible says, and the people stood beholding the rulers, verse 35. The rulers also with them derided him, saying he saved others. See, they know. Let him save himself, and be thee the Christ, the chosen of God. And the soldiers also mocking him, coming to him, and offered him vinegar and saying, If thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself. And a superscription also was written over him with letters of Greek and Latin and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. And so it's really hard to take when you love Jesus to hear how the crowd treated him in verse 35 through 38. It's hard when the spiritual leaders began this mocking. They mocked him with his claims as being the Savior. They shouted, he saved others. Why did they say that? Because you can't deny the irrefutable facts of our Lord. You can't be where Jesus is and not attest to the work that he does. They were in that region where Jesus lived, did life, and ministry. He loved, he lived, he showed. And a part of that, they could not deny. Because everywhere he did, or everywhere he went, he raised the sick. He raised the lame. He restored sight to the blind. He healed the leper. He cast out demons. He saved lost souls. He walked on water. He calmed storms. Do I need to go any further? They saw it. He saved others. They can't deny that. Let him save himself. So they mocked him as being the savior of the world. If he be the Christ, the chosen of God. They knew that was his claims. What they said in ignorance and what they said in hatred and animosity was actually very true. He did save others. And he could have saved himself. With or without 12 legions of angels. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm convinced as a Bible student, with the blast of his nostrils, this world would have melted. I'm convinced as a student and a believer of the word of God, with just one word, the human race would have been annihilated. He could have saved himself. But if he did, 
there would be no hope and no chance of salvation and eternal life. What a great God. What a great, merciful God that we serve. Well, you know, the spiritual leaders mocked him and it led to the soldiers mocking him. Didn't take much of a twisting of the arm there. They hated Jews. They mocked his claims of sovereignty. Earlier in verse 34, the Bible says that they, they parted his remnants and they cast lots. They gambled over his garments. They come to him and they offered him vinegar to drink. And they also shouted, If thou be the king of the Jews, save yourself. And doing so, they did nothing but mock his sovereignty, his kingship. Even Pilate joined by adding insult to injury when he wrote this down in Greek and Latin and Hebrew. The superscription that said, This is the king of the Jews. He did that to mock the Jews. They asked him in animosity and great hatred, take it down. Don't leave that up there. Put, he says he's the king of the Jews and that's why he's dying. Well, Pilate appeased them for blood because he also hated Jesus. But he would not appease them for this command or request because he hated them as well. And what he does not realize, what Pilate did not understand, he goes down immortalized in history as being the very first one to write a gospel track and make it public. This is the king of the Jews in Latin, Hebrew, and Greek. So in that cosmopolitan world, everybody that walked by could read and recognize this is the king of the Jews. The world would know. Isn't it amazing? My God's so good, he can use a lost man to get his word out. Isn't that amazing? He's a great God. So we have those mockers. And then the next point I'd like to bring to you, we have a tremendous miracle. Verse 39 through 43 gives us the account of these two thieves that I really want to focus in on tonight. One of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him saying, If thou be the Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answered, rebuke him, saying, Dost thou not fear God, seeing that I am in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due rewards of our deed. But this man hath done nothing amiss, and said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily or truly I say unto you, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. There's a tremendous miracle here I want to bring out, but before I do, I... I must talk about the choice of the first male factor in Scripture. We're going to talk about the choice of both, but the first one. He chose to rail on Christ. The one criminal joined the, 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 the spiritual leaders, joined the soldiers, the crowd, in mocking and rejecting Christ as Savior and Sovereign. He said, yeah, if you be the Christ, save yourself and what? Save us. Get me out of here. I want to be like Barabbas. I want to kick my heels up in a far country and get as far away from this place as I can. And I want to tell you that you and all of you and all of humanity has the same choice as these two criminals. All of us can join, choose to join the 
crowd of guilty criminals and mock and reject the Son of God. And like that malefactor, you will get what's coming to you. I don't have any way of sugarcoating this. If you reject the Son of God, you mock the Son of God, you overlook the Son of God, you'll get what's coming to you and that's death and hell. I read a quote today by Spurgeon that said, no one in hell will ever stand before God in judgment and said, he did not come to me and he would not receive me. No one in hell will ever say that. But everyone in hell will have to admit he came to me, but I would not receive him. You have that choice. I'd beg you. I'll stay up all night with you. I'll get on my hands and knees with you. I'll do whatever it takes to encourage you, to persuade you, to convince you not to make that choice, not to reject the Son of God, not to overlook so great a salvation. That's a choice you can make. I, I'm... I hate to even deal with that, but you can. And the sad thing is, I think the majority of the world is. The Lord said more is going to hell than they are going to heaven. I don't, I'm not interested in following the crowd. Can I just put a side note here? I'm not real smart, but my eyes are open. I see which direction the crowd's going. I'm not interested. The other one, though, he chose to receive Christ. The other criminal rebuked him by saying, I'm going to paraphrase this. What's wrong with you? Don't you want to look at somebody just rejecting Jesus and his love and say the same thing? What's wrong with you? Don't you fear God? You're about to die and stand before the living God for eternal judgment. Everybody knows that. I'm convinced. God puts that in the heart of man. That's the work of the Holy Spirit to convince the world of judgment to come. I don't believe in atheism. Almost got whooped one night for saying that at a funeral. I made the wrong one mad. I still don't believe them. It's a cheap, feeble attempt to reject God. I'm going to stand with our military men that I love. They all say, put them in a foxhole, they'll find God. I believe that. Everybody knows it is appointed unto man once to die. And after this, the judgment. All of Adam's ruined race, it's in your heart, it's on your mind, will die and stand before a living God. And this other malefactor said, man, what's wrong with you? You're moments away from death. Don't you fear God? You'll stand before the living God and give an account. That's what this man deserves. That's what we deserve. But this man, he does not deserve this. There's something different about him. He's done nothing amiss, nothing wrong. The other male factor said, we've done it. But I'll tell you right now, I'm done with the crowd's business. He turned to Jesus. He confessed him as Lord, if no one else would. He simply asked him to remember me. <laughs> oh, I'm going to get excited. People get tore all to pieces sometimes about their salvation experience and saying, Lord, I, I really don't know if I said the right words. I, I don't know if my prayer 
was theologically right. Preacher, am I still saved? Man, I'm telling you, God is so good. All it takes, all it takes is one glimpse of Calvary to see the darling Son of God for who He is. Have the Lord to open up your eyes to see the light. Acknowledge His Lordship. All He said was, Remember me. That was a key that unlocked heaven's door. Your Lord, I deserve it. Just remember me. Don't get hung up. Don't get hung up on all the theological words and quote unquote the perfect prayer. I don't know that sinful lips has ever prayed a perfect prayer. But there's a holy God in heaven who tells us that godly sorrow worketh towards repentance. There's a holy God in heaven that says a broken and a contrite heart God will not refuse. The Bible says all those who come unto me I will in no wise cast out. That old thief gives us a wonderful, wonderful illustration and example. That old thief just said, Lord, remember me. If no one else did, he did remember me. And Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, did far more, far more than remember him. The Bible says he received him. I just fast forward if you didn't know. He said today, I have no problem believing in that day when he closed his eyes on Calvary's mount, on that cruel cross, he lifted up his eyes that day in the presence of the living God. But also in that same day, in that same day on the other side, there's a man who closed his eyes in death on Calvary's mountain. He lifted up his eyes in more torment and more suffering than ever. He lifted up his eyes in an eternal torment called hell. The Lord received this one, acknowledged him as Lord, and asked to be received. Notice something else I want to help some people with. His answer didn't tarry. Didn't have to wait for penance. Didn't have to wait for good works. <laughs> didn't have to wait on him to reform his behavior. He was a crook, remember? He was a cult criminal, remember? He didn't wait to be baptized or join the local church. His response was immediate by the Lord saying, Truly, I say unto you, verily, today you'll be with me in paradise. So I just want to end tonight by telling you, praise God, our Savior not only prays for sinners, but our Savior pardons sinners. What a miracle. I'm going to talk about it Sunday morning. It is the greatest miracle of all time. What a Savior is mine. I'm here to, to mind you tonight and I'm here to encourage you and persuade you that if you're lost, He can be your Savior too. If only you'll choose Him. But you have the same choice. You can follow the crowd to hell or you can confess Christ as Lord, seek Him for pardon of sin, repentance of sin, 
And in death, you'll be carried. You'll be carried into heaven and live with Christ and the people of God for all of eternity. I'm not a singer, but I'd like to rear back and sing, Oh, come angel band, come and around me stand. Bear me away on those snow white wings to my immortal home. See, the old rich man, Luke 16, was buried, lifted up his eyes in torment. But old Lazarus, you know that old beggar had found Jesus precious to his soul. He also died. They didn't give him a proper burial. He didn't have a nice funeral. Matter of fact, I don't think he had much of a funeral at all. The dogs come by and finished what they started. Took what was left and throwed it on the trash heap. But it didn't matter. It didn't matter. That was a shell. Y'all going to come on with it or not? That was a shell. <laughs> Bible says he was carried. <laughs> carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. See, that's my future. One of these days when I close my eyes here, well, I'm going to be carried away. Same be true for you tonight. Same be true if you'll choose Christ. The only thing that I'll give you and I'll pray is I beg you from a heart of love, choose wisely. Because your eternity rests upon your decision of what you do with Christ. That's it. See, when you stand before God after death, you'll be judged on what you did with Jesus. You're going to hear one of two things. Oh, well done. Why? Because you're a good worker? Pfft, not on your life. The only good thing I've ever done is said yes to Jesus. And that's why you get a well done. Enter into the joys of the Lord. That's good. That's good. But those who choose to reject Jesus, ignore Jesus, they'll hear these words. Depart. Depart, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. It really does determine, and it really does matter who you know. Jesus is the key to heaven. Trust Him if you don't know Him. Father, thank You for taking us to Calvary tonight. Lord, You've made my heart soft, and I'm grateful. Lord, I still want to be moved when You take us to Calvary. I'm thankful for the darling Son of God taking my place. Lord, I am so blessed to be saved. And my desire is to see others saved. So God, would you do that tonight? I don't know who here is saved and lost, but God, you do. No doubt somebody here needs to find you precious to their soul tonight. Lord, would you speak to their heart? Will you draw them unto yourself? Would you make it easy for them to get saved? Lord, we'll rejoice with all heaven. Boy, Easter will be a little sweeter. We can celebrate the risen Lord. God, this is your opportunity. This is your time. This is your invitation. This is your church. These are your people. So, Father, I pray that you draw sinners unto yourself. And for those that are saved, God, burden our hearts for the lost and our family and our friends. May we be the first to come and pray. We ask all of it in Jesus' name. Amen.